Hello everyone and welcome back to the Overreacting Podcast. So when Chris and I got together to record our episode on the pill, well we did a very Chris and Heather thing and we spoke for way longer than we planned to. Uh, And this is therefore why we bring you in this episode what is now the pill part 3b. (laughs) So this is a continuation uh, of our part 3a where we talk a little bit about our own experiences on the pill and also try to give you a bit of a useful overview of some of the new science which has been emerging on side effects of the pill. Uh, We share some outrage on why so many of these side effects are not widely known uh, nor appear on any of the pill information or leaflets provided to you when it is prescribed. And so precisely because of the sheer amount of this new, interesting, to be honest, a little bit alarming information that is emerging around the pill and its side effects, is why we have needed to spill over into a part B episode to be able to give you all this information in its entirety. We also just try to provide some useful, or what we hope will be useful, tips on how to perhaps navigate this space. Chris and I are very much still working it out ourselves, so I guess we're all on this journey together. But we hope maybe you can take something from this episode for how to approach this space in your own life. And finally, given that there are so many different viewpoints and angles coming in uh, in the world of contraceptives and specifically the pill, at the end of this episode, we bring up a couple of quite interesting debate points. Uh, Wish me luck on taking on Chris, an Ivy League law school graduate, in any sort of realm of debating. But fortunately, we agree on most things anyway. So mostly Chris providing all interesting, insightful angles uh, on these discussion points. So lots of interesting content coming up for you here. If you've listened to this, what is now the Pill mini-series sequentially and made it this far, thank you. Um, We hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Hi. What's up? Hello. I'm Chris. And I'm Heather. And this is the Overreacting Podcast. Calm down, dear. Calm down. Calm down. Listen... Listen to the doctor. Calm down and listen to the doctor. It takes courage and strength to be interesting. No, our motto is when they go low, we go high. We lecture about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. Woo. All right, so what's the next, uh, what's the next Harry Potter title? Okay, the next Harry Potter title is The Pill and The Order of Attraction. So, how the pill influences partner selection, essentially. So I'm getting at. Ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I put out something on my Instagram um, a little while ago about creating a discussion about the pill in light of the AstraZeneca blood clot comparison. Mm-hmm. And I, I put a bit of a blurb about this particular book and just some of those headlines about things that it discusses. And I got so many messages from people specifically about this uh, component of the influence on partner selection because, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty startling concept really that your hormonal contraception could affect something as significant as 
who you're interested in dating. As, not to mention, in a time of your life when that's potentially most critical. Yeah. Uh, the time where you're actively preventing pregnancy and going out into the dating world. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that, you know, this could potentially play a role. Um, mm -hmm. Although having said that, uh, I think, again, it's important to caveat this with the fact that especially on this point it's it's inconclusive it's okay there are still a number of studies saying all sorts of different things in terms of um effects on different trait preferences again it's just so highly individual mm -hmm. in some cases there seems to be some general trends that it downweights physical attraction and uh upweights what's it called like loyalty traits Mm. Um, but there's a, basically studies have shown conflicting things in that area. Um, something that the book touches on lightly, but you explains it a, a different study, but um, I think a study that's probably more relevant is one called the sweaty t-shirt test. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds enticing. It, mm, to a degree. <laughs> yeah. What does it say? The reason I mentioned this one, it was one that was done in 1995, but it has been replicated since. It's been replicated in 2005. So this one is mm -hmm. more in the realm of conclusive. Mm -hmm. So the idea was they got a bunch of uh, T-shirts that ask men to wear for two days without washing yeah. <laughs> and get women to smell them. And, and what was found is that um, specifically uh, women... Uh, so again, this is heterosexual women, prefer the scent of men who have different immune cells to their own. Hmm. And that's all women, mm -hmm. regardless of if they're on the pill. So this was the finding, is that, that that is conclusively the trend on naturally cycling women. Okay. And that, that was found uh, with statistical significance to have been the case. However, for the group of women who were on oral contraceptives, the finding was completely reversed. So in fact, for this group, they showed a statistically significant preference for men who had immune cells, which were classified as similar to their own. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm overwhelmed thinking about, like, I'm really just impressed and in awe of the researchers and the scientists who would think to look for this mm. Mm. As, a, as a question to ask and answer. But also the answer is very concerning yeah yeah definitely the reason that you have this scent for uh, immune cells that are different to your own is that then the offspring of children with of parents with um yeah different immune cells have more robust immune system yeah that makes sense that's wild yeah so it's just it's the diversity of it's it's diversifying the pool of immune cells in the offspring that's like the I guess the evolutionary push there that you're losing with hormonal contraception. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. Huh. Uh -huh. And I guess coming back to, yeah, more broadly like partner preference. So the book details a few anecdotal cases, a few stories of women where a, a woman was on the pill and chose her partner and then having come off the pill, not only there was like, a shift in general feeling that, that is possible, but also suddenly found the actual scent of her partner to be repulsive. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That was one story that was detailed, yeah. But yeah, again, like hugely varying. And the other thing as well is that it is possible that 
you know, the shift from the choosing a partner on the pill and then coming off of it or vice versa, I mean, it can go any way. It can mm-hmm. result in increased attraction, decreased attraction, and in any, um, you know, dimension of compatibility as well. So, again, hugely variable, hugely individual, but interesting and at this point still largely anecdotal. Which feels to me like something we'd want to have as more of a known quantity. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think just the... I mean, I guess it should just invite more research, right? Mm-hmm. More research funding, maybe? I guess, I don't know why, that feels so surprising, but, like, also when you think about all of the testimonials of, like, decreased sex drive and stuff when you're on the pill, I bet it's also hard to, if you're in that position, it's hard to figure out whether that effect is, is like, your partner specifically or, like, just to have you on hormonal therapy. Yeah. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the another one of the stories detailed in the book is this young 22 year old girl who her first long-term boyfriend and she goes on to the pill a few months into the relationship and then essentially just loses all interest in sex and then goes to see a doctor and because it's confused about what's going on and the doctor essentially says oh well you know it's it is normal for you know interest in sex to to decrease gradually in a long-term relationship and so she just left the doctor's office thinking, oh, okay, I guess this is the longest relationship I've been in. Maybe this is just how I'm going to react to it. Um, but felt really, really, really guilty as well. that The fact that she just didn't feel like having sex with her boyfriend, who she loved. So they ended up splitting up and then she went off the pill after they split up. And then they crossed paths again uh, months down the line. And then she describes seeing her boyfriend at a distance and being struck by how attractive he is. <laughs> Uh, and then sort of put two and two together that it could have been the pill and then they go back together and it was all happy days. I mean, fortuitous that it worked out that way. That's some real serendipity, but it's just... I th- And this goes back, I think, to the larger, the whole like minimization of, of the symptoms that you're describing as women and taking them seriously and and the onus being on the individual professionals and also the scientific community and medical community as a larger entity to take these problems seriously and to rectify them, especially with something like this, where I feel like it couches so easily into the overall narrative of like women being ruled by their hormones or like women being indecisive. And also the really problematic idea that like, well, women just don't like sex as much as men do. It's like, well, actually maybe, maybe you're just noticing that stereotype being reinforced because the woman you're dating is consuming hormones every day that fundamentally change her, her biology so that she doesn't, you know, have to reproduce involuntarily which would in theory affect both of your lives although in practice I guess also not the case yeah and it's an interesting one about the sex drive and the pill because I guess you can see you can conceive of it going two ways and in one sense there's the actual I guess more hormonal base reduction in the sex drive but on the flip side there's maybe the more socially activated component where the knowledge of the fact that it's going to be safe sex, that it's protected sex, could result in more enjoyment. So, it, you know, again, so individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> what, is, what is the next one? Next one. <laughs> next book. <laughs> um, the Pill and the Prison of Hobbies and Interests. Ooh. Okay. So if I can come back just one step first and go back to... 
Darwin days mm. um, and explain, I think, explain a little bit about um, the theory of sexual selection. Okay. So as most people are familiar with Darwin's theory of natural selection, it's a way of explaining traits that we've adapted in an environment which aids survival. So Darwin's theory of sexual selection, I guess, was sort of an addendum to that, an add-on, where thinking about maybe some of the more elaborate traits in humans and other species, more like pro-social traits, think the um, uh, peacock's bright-coloured tail, mm-hmm. um, the singing and bird song and dances that go on for mate attraction there. So to explain, how do you explain those behaviours and why they, why they have evolved? So essentially the theory of sexual selection explains you know traits which evolve to increase one's chance of procreation not Mm. just survival and so the theory goes applying that to people this explains in part you know music and the arts and humor and um why lots of young men learn to play the guitar Mm. um actually there's a really fantastic podcast that explains all of this extremely well in a contemporary way as well. On the Sam Harris podcast, um, he interviews a man called Jeffrey Miller, who is an evolutionary psychologist, has authored a number of books, uh, and he, he explains in the best way that I've heard it explained, sexual selection and underpinnings of mate choice and how that links to all sorts of human expression, like creativity, art, humour, emotion, personality. Yeah, I would recommend that. Um, but anyway, awesome. the point of all of this... <laughs> is that if sexual motivations can play a part to some extent in influencing our interests and hobbies, music, the arts, creativity, a change in our interest in sex and a change to our sex hormones can also mean a change to our wider reaching interests and hobbies. Hmm. So again, uh, a lot of this is still anecdotal and it's only just beginning to be researched more rigorously. But um, the author in the book uh, tells her own story in this space about how she used to be really interested in music and had a really wide taste in genres and would would always be exploring new music, looking for new songs, uh, really valued that as a hobby. And then it wasn't until, so she was on the pill for 10 years, she said, and then she didn't really notice, it was just gradual that, you know, she just thought with age and different you know, life events and things that her just general interests and hobbies had changed. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until she uh, came off um, of the pill that she looked at her, a few months later, she looked at her Spotify playlist and realised that all of her safe songs were from a decade ago and that she hadn't explored any new music tastes or interests in that time. And suddenly she had that entire interest just reawakened in her. And, yeah, it was really into music again which then obviously her being a researcher in that space found you know some research and studies to back that up that that is likely to have been an uh, effect of the pill (sighs) yeah and she tells another story as well about a girl similar thing about fashion essentially that she was really into fashion and then that interest was just dulled entirely during her time on the pill and wasn't reawakened until coming off of it and that's crazy to me when I think about the time period when a lot of women are going on the pill like it, it is a time in your life when in theory the like the foundational blocks of those interests and hobbies and passions are being formed you know like it's just and like we know that it's easier to learn new things and new skills and etc as your brain is developing which also coincides with when a lot of women are 
going on the pill. So the thought of like there's this whole this whole swath of like areas of interest, skills you might have acquired, life experiences you might have been trying to have that you just lose interest in doing and motivation in doing at the time when it would have been most beneficial to to have that formed. Yep. Woof. And that's a really important point you make about specifically the consideration of age. Because this brings us brings me to my last Oh what a segue. Last, what last an unintentional one. segue. <laughs> is um the pill and the unanswered questions now there are many i've only just listed a couple but i think one of the most important ones is that there's this question that's only just now being asked is questions about the adolescent brain in particular and whether these effects from the pill are what could be considered activational effects in that these are effects that are only activated whilst on the pill and are assumed to be completely reversible versus what could be called organizational effects, which is the way that the pill, in having an effect whilst your brain is developing, could potentially affect the structure of the developing brain in a way which may not be reversible. And this, is, this question is, is only just literally now beginning to be researched, despite the fact that we prescribe the pill to yourself as a 13-year-old, myself as a 17-year-old, um, and the female adolescent brain persists up to about 21 different for boys it's 24 people always gloss over that fact but that's important too that is oh. and it's it's almost like makes you like queasy to think about in hindsight because obviously there's nothing I can do about that yeah no, there's nothing yeah same um and it's not like anyone in my space at the time like I would ever in any way fault them for still having that be the conclusion I think I've I've spoken pretty ad nauseum about the fact that it was a pretty essential solution. You know, something was needed at the time and that was what was available and it did work uh, in large extent. So, it's, yeah, you, you can't be upset about that being the solution, but more just like that being the only option and that these questions outstanding was something that, we, yeah, we, we just sort of tacitly accepted. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I guess to not terrify people too much as well it's good to put everything in perspective here it's not as if I mean no one's noticing that you know people have been on the pill that there's anything you know noticeably wrong (laughs) I mean Mm -hmm. we've we've completed our your most of your schooling uh and both of our uh, undergraduate degrees whilst on the pill we were fine (laughs) yep like yeah and these yeah obviously there's a lot more questions expanding on from that about the pill and cognition and the answer is we don't know but also I guess it hasn't been something stark enough to have triggered questions significant enough questions sooner so I'm sure most of these effects are small but we should have an opportunity to find out mm-hmm. yeah and again just where was it on the pamphlet like not only should we be able to give informed consent for the potential side effects and and that sort of assumption of risk there in choosing to go on the pill? Um, But honestly, if the reaction of a lot of women were to be, hey, if I knew about this, I wouldn't have done this, you know, that in a way then does create its own demand for, and as we've talked about, (laughs) we're, we're talking about something that at the end of the day, it's not charity to develop answers to these questions. 
and to create forms of contraception and, and even hormonal contraception specifically that that remedy a lot of these issues like it's it's actually hugely profitable and in future episodes we're going to talk about some of those other forms of contraception and how they work and how they're you know better in some ways less helpful in others pros and cons again looking for that individual cocktail of hormones that will let you live <laughs> a functional adult life out in society so it's not that science hasn't taken a crack at this and I think had some substantial success with it but it is also just it is actually really just confusing to think about why that incentive structure wouldn't be enough to to prompt more development there because actually more women happy with the lack of side effects on the pill is just more women on the pill which is more money in this capitalist system like it's actually just profitable to care about this and to answer these questions yeah definitely woof yeah and just in doing that very personalized cost-benefit analysis to know what the cost is and be able to quantify that, or not even the cost, but the risks, um, mm-hmm. you know, what might happen. And then having the awareness then to pay attention to mm-hmm. what happens and mm-hmm. be able to even think to assign it to the pill. It's really critical. Oh, well, I loved all of your book titles. That was, Thank you. That was a very creative, <laughs> if not... Depressing. <laughs> bit of a horror story, but pressing on. Yep, yeah. I had one more unanswered question. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is highly speculative, but is therefore under the chapter of unanswered questions. But uh, researchers are beginning to ask the question in light of the influence on um, on partner preference and that loss of that uh, sense for differing immune cells is then the flow-on consequence of effects on fertility and the health of babies, which don't know, don't know what the answer is, but it's plausible that if that, that loss of those, um, picking up on those biochemical cues for compatibility mm. can result in not only um, fertility difficulties in couples, but potential adverse health effects for, for kids on a, population level Mm -hmm. it's not to say that absolutely not this does not boil down to if you've chosen your part on the pill your kids might be more sick that is absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) not what we're saying um but it's something that maybe plays like a small small role which across population wide um you know is has observable results Mm -hmm. yeah none of this is to say that any of these things are automatically going to be so substantial for any individual person that it, it outweighs the benefit or that the pill isn't something that you should try. And obviously that a lot of these negative side effects, if you're made aware that they exist and can then relate them to the pill, wouldn't be remedied by just going off the pill. Because as Heather was saying earlier, some of them still outstanding, but from my understanding, at least the, the majority of the ones we've talked about, the answer is just the pill's not for you. You come off it and of course, it's it's not to make little of the three, let's call it, months of your life that were affected by it, but at the same time, you know, it is a solution. And if it's worth it to you to, again, have all of the wonderful benefits of being on the pill as your chosen form of contraception, none of this is to scare anyone away from it. But since this is a podcast about the minimization of female pain, the fact that as an industry, women for decades have been given a drug that to this day has a lot of unanswered questions as to its its effects on it sounds like almost every aspect of women's biology 
um, you know, certainly on theme. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah. And given that, I guess maybe it would be good to talk a bit about, in light of everything we've spoken about, maybe some practical advice on how to try to navigate this space. So, and again, (laughs) this is just our advice. Um, not doctors. Still not um, doctors. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we'll put it, frame it as, you know, what would what would we tell our friends and family? Mm-hmm. What what practical advice would our I our younger give to selves? Our or to each other? Or yeah. yeah. As someone who's <laughs> about to go back on the pill. Heather, what would yes, you tell me? Exactly. <laughs> what would you want me to know? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, pretty much as you said, I think having the awareness of these things and then having periods of time where you are on and off to be able to check in with yourself and try to get some comparison. And you know, as I said earlier, it is impossible to isolate variables in life. So it's always going to be very difficult to pinpoint uh, what is or what could be um, attributed to the pill. Mm-hmm. But it gives you the best chance you can to, to be self-reflective in periods both on and both off to try to gauge some sense of it. And I guess on that as well, because much as we try to be self-reflective, it can often be really difficult to identify some changes uh, in ourselves. And so I think maybe some practical advice is that to just tell your close friends and tell your family members when you're going on or when you're coming off and ask them to keep you updated if they notice anything, general comments. I think that would be really beneficial. Or maybe keep a journal. I love I love the friends and family one because I do feel like they have the sort of clearest picture of you, especially when we're talking about side effects uh, that involve things like depression and other mental and emotional side effects that when you're in it can be very hard to pinpoint. Um, so having that support system in place where you have people at the ready to call these things out as they see them uh, and to remind you that they might not actually be inherent to your brain chemistry. They might be the product of this yeah. <laughs> hormonal substance that you're taking on a daily basis. Um, I think that's really important. And just, I know this is really personal, so it's, it's also hard to maybe invite that degree of feedback from the people in your life. But at the same time, I do feel like always better to and not use the input then not have the input um and just making it not taboo to talk about this you know like when I went on the pill I'm thinking back now and there's no way I would have or any of my peers would have felt comfortable even discussing the fact that we were going on and off the pill on or off the pill um to then be like hey can you let me know if you know I seem less into band class in the next three months um so something I'm really actually proud of in the way that society has changed in the last, you know, 10 odd years since I went on the pill to now is that there's that heightened degree of openness and conversationalism around these topics, which definitely wasn't there before. And I, even in my personal life, have known a huge benefit to uh, just feeling comfortable, you know, bringing these topics up and whatnot. But I do still think we have a long way to go. There are definitely still spaces where you know, we're, we're fully aware that these conversations aren't happening and, as we talked about earlier, are actively <laughs> suppressed and allowed to be suppressed. So 
we do have a long way to go. Hopefully this podcast and conversations it starts uh, go some way to helping, you know, setting, setting some light in those spaces and, and making their way into circles that wouldn't normally feel comfortable talking about this or don't have people to talk about this to. If, you know, me and Heather are serving that sort of surrogate role as um, the friends that are telling you that these are things that can happen and to keep an eye out for them, we're certainly happy to happy to serve as that. But yeah. And I think another practical benefit of having these conversations and with the men in our lives as well is, you know, as people gain this fuller awareness of what women put their bodies through for the sake of contraception, you know, it invites the question from the wonderful men in our lives, you know, what what can we do? How can, you know, how can we share this burden? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a much appreciated question. <laughs> And yeah, I think it does kind of put it in perspective a bit, you know, it's like, lost half my hair, <laughs> um, felt just generally ill for a while, really long time, to, long time to figure out why, you know, just loss of energy. I now wonder if like all of my iron deficiencies, I don't know, uh, maybe it was the pill because they've been showing that it's linked to um, issues with nutrient absorption and uh, I've not had any iron deficiencies since coming off of the pill. Don't know, that's speculation. But, you know, I put my body through all of this. Like, I'm not from prepared to say this on air, but you can wear a condom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, we got to keep that in. <laughs> yeah, gents, like, do you hear this? Suck it up. I don't know what to tell you. Fucking deal. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't. Would be appreciated. I, I think can't that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That is That is actually a whole topic for another day. Just the sheer amount of, like, entitlement around sexual pleasure and the idea that like this is so about you that women are over here like mixing with their their brain chemistry and their biological makeup and you're just like "Mm, it's less fun for me I could give a shit (laughs) yeah I can't perspective a little literally but also in fairness to all to all the as we've said, lovely men listening to this who I know even just in my own life, I have a number of guy friends who have mentioned to me that you are tuning in. Hey, what's up? Uh, thanks for doing that. And um, something I've noticed that I actually really value is the degree to which I've been able to now have conversations about these topics with some of the men in my life that I don't think it normally would have just come up because they have a vehicle, like something specific to ask about um, and have and can sort of like show up with specific questions. As opposed to just being like, how is it being a woman? <laughs> just so as a cattle. With a period, does it just keep going? Is it just, does it really not stop? And you're like, no, um, it doesn't. But um, just on that note, in terms of guys listening to this who want to be supportive and want to be, you know, the kind of male ally that the woman in your life who you love and want to support, you think, you know, deserve. First of all, props to you. That's excellent. Um And I think you can ask them, like, again, ask the women. And I'm sure they'll tell you, like, how it would be great for you to help. Um, I do have a guy friend who told me a story that I thought was really sweet um, where his girlfriend had just changed forms of contraception and didn't used to get her period and did again and was just, like, overall really bummed um, at the idea of of having to get a period again because it's, again, they're super inconvenient and it's just really nice to go through life without it. And um, he was like, and I just felt really bad because she was so she was so disheartened by this and there was obviously nothing I could do. Like I couldn't make it go away, but I was like, you know what? There is something I can do. So he's like, 
excuse me, whenever, like, we knew her period was coming for whatever that first one or two days was that was, like, especially bad, he was like, we're making this all about you. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to dinner? Do you want to do takeout? Like, whatever you want to eat, we'll eat whatever you want to eat. You want to watch a movie? You want to play? Like, we'll do whatever you want to do, even if you just want to lie on the couch with a heating pad and, like, you know, watch Friends all day. Um, he's like, we're making this all about you. And he's like, I actually now think that just, like, period should be a celebration. He's like, on the one oh, hand, on hand, first yes. of all, you're not pregnant, which, love it. <laughs> love the reminder. Um, love to see it. Second of all, um, he's like, you're just kind of going to feel like shit. So let's try to take this net negative and, like, make it a little bit better. Like, bring it a little bit closer to a positive day. Um, and three, this just means that you're, like, you're healthy and you're, you know, your body's doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing to some extent. So, like, you know, we love that. And, uh... Yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't know why it's just like this whole secretive thing. He's like, fuck that. I want to, I want to make it like a monthly holiday. And I was like, that's incredible. I love, I love that He's an so incredible much. person. Um, I hope he doesn't this mind me telling this can story. Can this start a movement? Please. Yeah. I was like, can you tell all of your guys? Like, I would love nothing yeah. more than if my boyfriend just rocked up and was like, hey, I mean, I'll get a period right now because I'm on IUD, but um, so if that were to start again and just be yeah. like, where do you want to take out from? What movie do you want to mm-hmm. watch? Like. Let's make it a day mm-hmm. in uh, in recognition of the fact that, like, yeah, women do go through this shit, and it is hard, and we are going through it, you know, yeah. to continue the human race, and yeah, that's a burden to bear. That's a little weight on our shoulders, and I'd love some yeah. takeout. Thank you very much. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I have to admit, and I think maybe we can cut this into a podcast on period positivity, but since doing the podcast, I've had so much more period positivity in my yes. life. <laughs> Honestly, now I've, yeah, it's just shifted the way that I think about it. And last month I was like, you know, my body is amazing. It can create life. And this is a reminder of that. And also a reminder that I'm yet to create life. And I'm not currently creating life. Good. Crucially. (laughs) Not creating life Um, at the moment. Yeah. But I could have wanted to. a positive thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, and just actually, it feels so freeing to talk about in any capacity, I think, has been interesting. Um, Like, it's just, it is a topic of conversation now with friends and family members and whatnot that it never used to be. And it also became a conversation topic without it ever being weird to enter. Like, you know, there was no transition phase. It just went from being something that I never spoke about with most people in my life to something that most people in my life now bring to me as a conversation topic. And it's been great. Because when you think about it, I mean, think about something that you have in your life that, you know, you spend a week of every month doing. Um, Think about something that takes up that much time and attention that you don't share with the people that are close to you. You know what I mean? It would be like if I just, like, stopped telling my mom about 25% of my friends. Like, it just, it's just, it's never been there. And now it is. And it was really seamless. And it's been really great. So, so true. So true. Excellent. Um, okay. So I don't know how we're going to segue back. <laughs> I actually don't know that we, we have to in any specific way. What do you want to do? Where do you want to end up? Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to bring up a couple of debate points with you. There's so many different points where there's directly conflicting viewpoints and opinions and both are valid. <laughs> yep. Um, so individual, but it, I guess it just highlights how confusing the world of contraception can be. Absolutely. Um, I think a really interesting 
debate point is there's a lot of movements and a lot of, I guess, petitioning to make the pill available as an over-the-counter drug to mm-hmm. not require mm-hmm. prescription based on a woman's right to, to birth control, mm-hmm. which totally understand that line of reasoning. However, on the flip side, given everything that we've just spoken about in terms of side effects, paints this picture of how incredibly important it is to for this to be prescription medication it's not a casual thing it is mm-hmm. a very significant thing that is about to happen to your body mm-hmm. that requires preferably a lot more information before being given that prescription so yeah i mean I there's yeah. debate one <laughs> huge debate and again i really want to flag to your point heather because i've actually i've had this debate and also there's another piece of that about whether or not it should be birth control should be available by mail order not just over the counter, but especially for women living in more rural communities. Again, going back to the whole concept of, of um, <laughs> the whole lack of separation of church and state and how there are a lot of places where talking about contraception, even if you were to go to a doctor, isn't necessarily something you'd get. Um, that making birth control accessible to women in, living in those spaces who wouldn't otherwise be able to literally find a doctor who would prescribe them birth control, even if it is prescription. Um, and we think that's a good thing still that issue. So I've also had this conversation in the context of that debate. Um, and we really want to flag there's the reason it's a debate is there are pros and cons to both. Like Heather and I both did get prescribed birth control from a doctor and still didn't get sufficient information for what was about to happen to our bodies. Um, so then surely, you know, that having that hurdle there is, is serving some benefit again, going back to that whole informed consent element. Um, and, and the very personalized, as opposed to just like having an informational video or something, the very personalized conversation with your doctor, um, because everyone's experience in that capacity is so unique. Uh, but balancing that against the enormous statistics we have about the benefits of birth control and, and what it does for women's access and agency and liberty and um, mental health and a, and a bunch of other things, you know, wanting to make that available to any woman who who wants this as as a a tool to help shape how she lives her life and isn't that important um and aren't we trying to break down barriers to entry and access and isn't that a great way to do this so yeah debate because there isn't as far as we can tell a right answer here um but very important questions to ask that we want to flag and again going back to it being more common to talk about the other thing i guess is the more acceptable and less taboo these conversation topics are the less need there is for that individualized attention you know what I mean? Because another thing about just the field of medicine generally, when you're getting actual informed consent, like for surgery and whatnot, doctors aren't required to inform you of risks that they know you are already aware of. Um, and that assumed knowledge, I think, is really interesting where with women's reproductive health, there is so little ability to assume knowledge because so little of it is made readily available. And that's just dumb. Um, you know, if we have these conversations more and we make them more mainstream, then I think it's easier to have a conversation about making birth control over the counter because there's less of a chance that hearing about those risks from your doctor's mouth is going to be the first and only time you get that rundown. Yeah. So maybe that's, maybe that's the answer. Maybe you got to do the first, maybe you got to do that first and then, uh, the over the counter conversation becomes a lot easier. Mm. We're just solving all the world's problems. (laughs) Solving them. Solving all the problems. Yeah, Kidding. Definitely. I can't. Um, maybe one last debate point I'd yeah, love yeah. to have with you. Yeah, I guess one last 
dichotomy Mm -hmm. is this whole argument about contraception being in the hands of women and is that an unfair burden or is it key to liberation? That's a really interesting That's a great one. I actually just had that conversation with a friend last night after we recorded part one um, based on what you were saying about Margaret Sanger and I'm forgetting the heiress's name being so upset when they found out that men were trying to develop this, but we're taking the pill as well and, and we're trying to develop this and they're out and totally understanding in their eyes being like, no, 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 no. This isn't for you. <laughs> you have enough agency. You don't need more. We would like some, please. That's, this is this is about us. This is about women's autonomy. Um, so I totally get it from their lens, but it is funny how today now it is like, well, why is the onus only on women? Why are we the only ones shouldering uh, that that literal health burden, but also just the logistical burden of like remembering to take the pill at the same time every day and whatnot? Um, and is it not just another way in which reproductive decisions uh, fall on women's shoulders in addition to just the literal physical burden of being the one to get pregnant if it's an unintentional pregnancy um, and having that disruption? So... Yeah, no, I think we should definitely we should throw that on the Instagram. I would love to hear people's thoughts about that because I really can yeah, see it going definitely. going both ways. That's a good one. But no, I really tend to agree with the way that you've answered it. I think it is a different answer for different times. Mm-hmm. I think it, it has unquestionably been important for the progression of women's rights and equality. Uh, but now that we've gotten to that point and we have the pill really to thank in large part for that, we now are in a position where we can demand better. Yes. Which is, it wasn't that the goal all along was to put women in a position to actually d- demand things of society in terms of, of standing up for their own equality. And if this is where we're at now and if this is the next step, then great. Um, it's certainly a next step. And it just, it's, even if the answer stays the same, I think important to have the conversation. Because when you do talk to men about it and you do talk about the studies preliminarily that they've done on contraception for men and and the studies that have been shut down because of the comparatively, I'm sorry, paltry side effects, it does does really throw into stark contrast the amount of burden that we are just still tacitly okay with women absorbing. And and that burden shifting, it's got to come from somewhere, I think, is the the feeling. So if not here, then where? Um, Maybe it's takeout. on the first day of your period I don't care I do care um I have some preferences but um just having the conversation even if the answer doesn't change I think is hugely important definitely cool 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 amazing and until next time this has been Chris and Heather and this is the overreacting podcast